0: instead of the other way around. Approval isn't guaranteed, and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details.
1: Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's Pee-wee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected. Subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary.
2: Introducing the Lisa Chill Collection. Your answer to hot nights. These mattresses beat the heat with ultra-cool covers. Whisking away heat for the perfect sleep temperature. Save up to $460 on chill mattresses and get two free pillows when you shop now. iHeart listeners can save an extra $50 off by visiting lisa.com forward slash iHeart. That's L-E-E-S-A dot slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See Lisa.com for more details.
0: The Volume. Hoops Tonight is presented by FanDuel. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight, presented by FanDuel here at The Volume, live on AMP. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Happy Election Day. Although there's no NBA games tonight, we had so many games last night that we have plenty more to get into today. Like I promised yesterday, we were going to focus on the early slate. Today, we're going to focus on the later slate. Warriors-Kings, Celtics-Grizzlies, Blazers-Heat, Nets-Mavs, and Cavs-Clippers. So, 10 more teams to get into today. Really quickly before we get started, remember to follow me on Twitter at underscore Jason LT so that you guys don't miss any show announcements so you can find out when we're going live, when stuff is coming out. I always tweet the links out too. That's also where I put video content since I have some limitations in what I can use on YouTube. Also, for those of you guys who are watching on YouTube or on the podcast feeds, remember that the first place that you can get this stuff is AMP. Um, That is where we are live immediately after the early slate of games three times a week. And then lastly, before we get started, 2000, 2008, 2022, when it comes to the economy, those are some scary years. The dot-com crash, the housing crash, and the roller coaster we're going through now. One thing is certain. It is a dangerous time to not know your numbers, but over 31,000 businesses have the confidence and clarity they need because they rely on NetSuite by Oracle, the number one cloud financial system. NetSuite gives you visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, planning, and budgeting, so you can manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need, all in one place. So how do you prepare for uncertain times? The answer is NetSuite. NetSuite helps you identify rising costs, automate your business processes, and easily see where to save money. That's why 93% of customers say they've improved their visibility and control when they upgraded to NetSuite. So what are you waiting for? Right now, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to netsuite.com slash Jason right now. That's netsuite.com slash Jason. One more time, that's netsuite.com slash Jason. Jason, all right, let's talk some basketball. So, the Warriors get a vintage, magnificent Steph performance. Really carried Golden State home down the stretch of this game. Um, Sacramento botched some coverages uh, on Draymond split cuts that led to wide open Andrew Wiggins' threes on the backside that he made uh, down the stretch. But other than that, it was a whole lot of just – High level shot making from Steph. Although special shout out to Andrew Wiggins. He was amazing down the stretch of this game. I think he went five for five in the fourth quarter, seemingly made every big play. But outside of that little classic, you know, Warriors basketball that got those wide open threes for Wiggins, it was it was a lot of just wild, classic, vintage, unanimous MVP Steph Curry. There was like a little bank shot from Steph where he drove left and pump faked and his man flew by and Here comes Sabonis out of nowhere over jumping to try to block Steph. Comes this close to blocking him, but he banks it in. And then the last few possessions, he was really picking on Kevin Herter on switches. He hit a tough step back three that Kevin nearly blocked. And then he had like a little turnaround fadeaway off of a drive that once again, Kevin almost blocked and he made. But that's the advantage of having, you know, in my opinion, the fifth best perimeter player in the history of basketball, in Steph Curry, so like that he just he just brought you home in a game that uh, that you very well could have lost if a few things went a different way. Draymond Green also, after that kind of heater that Steph Curry caught, weaponized the attention sent towards Steph with the classic vintage fake handoff to go up and get a big uh, a big dunk, and and Draymond was fantastic on the defensive end at the end of this game as well. Um, But all of that's great, and we're going to talk more about Steph here in a minute because I think what you saw from Steph last night is such a big indicator of why it's so important to feel urgency surrounding this situation, and we are going to get back to that. But make no mistake, defense is what won this game for the Warriors. As I pointed out in our last few shows, in the previous five games, the Warriors were dead last in defense, and it wasn't just the bench. The starters were giving up about 111 points per 100 possessions during that span, specifically the Steph, Clay, Wiggins, Draymond, Looney group. So no matter how you slice it, no matter what was going on with the bench, no matter how you feel about James Wiseman or any of those things, clearly you're not – they weren't playing well enough. So they needed to play better, and they did tonight. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting in that second half was Steve Kerr finally just started staggering the starters with the bench, something that I personally have been pleading for for a while – um so obviously they start uh, uh Jordan Poole instead of Kevon Looney to start the second qu- or the second half, right? But then you could see the staggering over the course of that third quarter. So Draymond Green, Jordan Poole, Clay Thompson go to the bench, right? In comes Moses Moody and Ty Jerome, but also in comes Kevon Looney, one of your starters, right? And now you're running a lineup that has Steph, a great defensive player, Andrew Wiggins, one of the best perimeter defensive players in the league, and Kevon Looney a great defensive player. So now your first bench lineup has lots of defensive talent on it, which allowed it to be more functional. Then in the end of the third, Steph Curry checks out, Kevon Looney checks out, Andrew Wiggins checks out, but in comes Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, and Jordan Poole. You know, so now even though you're you're losing those three defensive players, you're bringing back in Klay Thompson and Draymond Green. Draymond's one of the best defensive players in the league. And Clay's an outstanding defensive player. So every lineup just had a better chance of success because they had better defensive personnel. And it was, it was kind of bad process from the Warriors over the course of this five game losing streak too often, just going to these complete and total bench lineups where they just didn't have the defensive personnel to hang with these teams. And As a result, in the second half last night, the Warriors notched a 90.2 defensive rating, which is outstanding. They only allowed 46 points. That is what allowed them to get enough stops so that Steph could carry them home with his shot-making at the end of the game. But here's the reality of the Steph thing, and this is something that I think the Warriors uh, brass needs to take a closer look at. You only win a title when you have a top-tier superstar. Last year, Steph Curry. Previous year, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Previous year, LeBron James. Previous year, Kawhi Leonard. Previous year, Kevin Durant and Steph Curry. Previous year, and Kevin Durant, or er, Kevin Durant and Steph Curry. Previous year, LeBron James. Previous year, Steph Curry. You get the point. You're not winning a title in the NBA unless you have one of the very best guys in the league. There's, there's no debate about that. The, the times where it ends up being more of a team effort, are the exceptions to the rule, and they are extremely rare. And we can go back to, say, the 2014 Spurs, but it's like, oh, wait, they had Tim Duncan and Kawhi Leonard on the rise and Tony Parker and Manu Ginobili. That was a, a, a that was an unusually talented team to make up for that mistake. Or, you know, 2011, I'm getting Dirk Nowitzki, Nowitzki and just an unbelievable defense, right? So, th- like, w- in these situations, you're not winning – unless you've got the guy, not a guy, the guy, you need one of the very best guys in the league. And the Warriors have that right now with Steph Curry. I think he's the very best, uh, uh, the very best version of himself. He's never been any better than he is right now. He is no lower than the second best player in the league, or maybe the best, depending on who you ask. I still think it's Giannis, but it's certainly, Steph's certainly in that conversation. Your Two timelines plan that you've been going with, Joe of and Bob Myers, does not account for the fact that you have a superstar now and the chances statistically of one of these young players turning into a superstar is extremely low. Your young guys are good. James Wiseman might be a really good two-way center in this league one day. He's got the potential to be a better version of DeAndre Ayton. You know Moses Moody has potential to be a you know a a good scoring wing in this league that also can defend. Jonathan Kaminga, sky's the limit, obviously, but he's got so far to go. But statistically speaking, the chances that one of those guys is going to be a Kawhi Leonard or a LeBron James or a Giannis Antetokounmpo or a Steph Curry are extremely low. And you're not winning unless you have one of those guys. So while I appreciate and I respect The two timelines idea, this idea that you're going to, you know, uh, like continue to stay relevant into the future as Steph ages out. I respect that, but here's the reality of the situation right now, right now, your bench isn't good enough and it might get you beat right now. Your starting lineup is outstanding and you have the second best player in the world playing at the peak of his powers. This is the group that needs to be invested in. If you make a trade that sends out one or two of your younger players and brings back a veteran wing or two to bolster your bench, you significantly increase your chances of winning the title this season. If you keep all those guys, right now you've got the best starting lineup in the league, but you've got a terrible bench that is costing you games night in and night out very little realistic chance that they're going to suddenly figure it out over the course of the season. And in the future, you might just have three or four interesting players, none of which are top five players in the league. That's the risk here. I would totally understand if a guy like Jonathan Kaminga was struggling on the bench now, but was like a Scotty Barnes type of prospect or a Zion Williamson type of prospect where you're sitting there and you're like, Look, we got to keep him because he's a generational prospect. Could be the best player in the world one day. I get it. Like Toronto being like, hey, you know, we're not going to trade Scotty because we think he's a generational prospect. I get that. I respect the ideology. But hanging on to these young players that are good young players that are not superstars while sacrificing the Steph Curry window is a strategy that I personally would disagree with. If we had seen more out of the bench, and it became more clear that they were potentially going to be ready in time for the postseason, then I would understand. But you lost Gary Payton II, you lost Otto Porter Jr., you won the title largely not using the young players, betting on, and you let all those guys go betting on the young players being ready, and they are clearly not ready. And it's not just Wiseman, it's not just Kaminga, it's not just Moody, it's the totality of that bench lineup and their inability to defend. And I, this is your window. Look at how good Steph is. Another 48 last night, a gorgeous fun to watch 48 that won a basketball game that you probably should have lost. That's the guy to put your resources behind. Don't Don't waste that opportunity. So I, I, we'll, we'll see we'll see what, what they end up doing, but I, I, I think they need to feel a little bit more urgency around the Steph window. from his time in the NBA. CJ will bring his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoops takes. Plus, John will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show as well to give their unfiltered accounts of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.
2: With Lisa, your purchase has purpose. Every year, Lisa donates thousands of mattresses to those in need. Exclusions apply. See Lisa.com for more details.
0: Ever needed something for your home but don't have the cash or credit to pay for it? Let's chat about how to get what you need when you need it. You can do that at Aaron's. Yep, you can rent to own appliances like washers, dryers, or refrigerators, furniture for your living room or bedroom, even tech like computers and gaming systems. Plus, Aaron's has great brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley, and you can pay a little at a time until it's yours forever. But here's the cool part. Say you're renting a 65-inch smart TV and decide you don't want it anymore. At Aarons, you can return it at any time. Or maybe you want to downsize to a 55-inch or upgrade to an 86-inch. You can do that too. Return it, then take home something new. Life's always changing. With Aarons, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aarons fits your life instead of the other way around. So check out your nearest Aarons store or visit Aarons.com for more details. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details. All right. Celtics Grizzlies. The Celtics continue to be a a frustrating defensive watch this year, really inconsistent with their effort. You can tell they're kind of like taking on a little bit of an arrogance because they know that they can lock in for four or five minutes and the other team's just going to suffocate to death and and they'll win a game. Um, the, The tricky part with that is it can get you beat. Uh, in a a playoff series that's defined by tiny margins if you have too many lazy stretches. And then obviously, when you have lazy stretches of basketball, you form bad habits, and it's really difficult to turn bad habits into good habits when you're in a situation of desperation. But make no mistake, they still have stretches where they really lock in defensively, and they look great. And this was a great example of that against the Grizzlies. It was a back-and-forth game. The Grizzlies controlled early. The Celtics controlled the middle portion of the game. But it was tied at 88 with nine minutes left. And the Celtics just completely locked in defensively, went on a 17-6 run, and won the game. They kind of had like a little bit of a a classic Celtics, uh, you know, blew the lead at the end, but they weren't really truly threatened. Um, But the the 17-6 run, the the shot quality, the difference in the shot quality between the two teams was, was readily apparent. Ja Morant couldn't get any dribble penetration against Boston's wings and guards. Specifically, Tatum did a really nice job on switches, against jaw. And that just goes to show you what his value is, as one of the best perimeter defenders in the league. I still think he's the best perimeter defender in the league. Um, the kinds of shots that they were getting, like Desmond Bain took an impossible step back three in the left corner. John Morant took another really tough step back in isolation. He ended up settling for a pull up three against Jason Tatum at the top of the key that kind of led to the, uh, the dagger run out dunk, but they weren't getting good shots when Boston locked in. And then on the other end of the floor, Boston was playing their classic driving kick basketball. Uh, Tatum knocked down a three, a spot up three off of a, a driving kick. Jalen Brown drove and scored right at the rim. Marcus Smart got an and one driving to the rim and finishing with his left hand. Tatum uh, got a, a switch on to Santi Aldama and, and did like a really nice, like kind of pull over his head dribble and made, the float, made a floater. And then on the missed John Morant pull up, Tatum got a dunk in transition. That essentially iced the game, but that's that different, you know, shot quality is going to carry you home at the end of the day. It is a make or miss league, but if you're just getting better shots, it's far more likely that your shots are going to get in at the end of that game, 88, 88 tied Celtics locked in defensively and the Grizzlies could not get dribble penetration. And then the, the, on the other end, the Celtics consistently got dribble penetration. And when they lock in, they're just so difficult to deal with on both ends that they're going to win a whole lot of games. Don't look now, but the Celtics are number one in offense in the league right now. Everyone focused on the defense last year, and I, I can't remember the exact number, but it was like from January 8th to the end of the year. They were number one in defense by a mile, and that was the story of the uh, of the Celtics last year. But they were also number one in offense over that stretch. Now, their defense still has a long way to go, like we just talked about, but their offense is coming around, and they are looking really, really good um, a t- uh, <laughs> the Eastern conference is so stacked and, uh, it's easy to be like, Oh, the, the bucks, they're going to run away with it. But the Celtics are really damn good. And they're, and they're going to be tough to, uh, to beat four times out of seven. Blazers heat, the heat really blew this game. They were up by nine with less than five minutes left. Um, the Blazers ended up going small, which we're going to talk a little bit more about in a minute. Um, but basically justice Winslow came in for use of and they played no centers at the end of the game. They went with. Damian Lillard, Anthony Simons, Josh Hart, uh, uh, Jeremy Grant, and Justice Winslow. And a huge part of it is, like, Justice Winslow is so big and strong that they were able to put him on BAM at a bio. And you know what's funny is, like, um, I actually played – this was one of the more wild uh, basketball games that I played in. But I used to get invited to these, like, private runs uh, at the University of Arizona. And uh, I was at this run one day where Justice Winslow was getting recruited and he was ge- choosing between Arizona and Duke. And I played in this like ridiculous series of pickup games where it was like T.J. McConnell, Nick Johnson, Aaron Gordon, Caleb Tarzuski, and then Justice Winslow was there on a visit. And then there were some former players in the gym as well uh, that were in town. and 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 it was just this unbelievable high-quality basketball. Some of the most fun that I've had playing the game. But what was funny is like, Uh, Justice Winslow was, was like small, like he, like he, he had, you could tell like he had a build to him like that. He would probably get big and strong, but man, like, like I did not expect him to come into the league and be a guy who could guard centers. Let's just put it that way. When I was standing next to justice, when he was 18 years old, I, I, you were thinking, something closer to like an RJ Barrett type of build, you know, kind of like a lefty wing that was more of like a, a like a, like a wiry kind of lanky kind of dude. And he's built like a damn truck now, which is a huge part of what, what, wep- what, what allowed the Blazers to go small in this game. Cause they just put him on Bam, and he did just fine. And then Josh Hart plays way bigger than he is. And then Jeremy Grant is a big, long freak athlete. And so it was kind of like a classic like small ball type of concept where the Blazers are doing a ton of switching, and then everybody on the court can dribble, pass, and shoot, and it just makes them really difficult to deal with on both ends of the floor. Both teams, really, because Miami always uh, t- uh, tends to switch, both teams are switching everything down the stretch of this game, but the big difference between the uh, the two attacks was the Blazers, because they have more dribble creation, and Miami struggles with dribble creation, they were just getting downhill to the basket. Damian Lillard drives to the basket and finishes a layup on Gabe, on Gabe Vincent in isolation. You know, uh, Anthony Simons drives on Kyle uh, Lowry, gets to the basket, makes a really tough and one layup. <clears throat> there were plenty of plays where they drove and kicked and got wide open looks for Jeremy Grant, who was able to knock down shots. And then on the other end of the floor, the Miami Heat were trying to run sets. So you can see the difference there. Both teams switching the Blazers attacking mismatches with their high-level dribble creators. Then on the other end of the floor, it was like they were dumping it down to Jimmy Butler in the post. And then they were trying to run like split cuts and try to get wide open shots for guys off of screening actions. But Portland switching and none of that stuff is open. And really from that four minute mark to about that two minute mark was where Miami lost this game because the Blazers were just getting better shots. And they came back and tied the game. And Finally there in the last two minutes or so, Jimmy Butler figured out what he's supposed to do, which is, hey, when they're switching, you just attack and go downhill and try to get to the rim. And they finally started to make some plays. But then there at the end of the game, it was just make or miss. Um, There was a play where Damian Lillard drove and kicked to Jeremy Grant in the right corner. He made it. Then they go down to the other end of the floor and Jimmy Butler misses a short little push shot in the lane. Uh, They got an offensive rebound, but then Bam committed an offensive foul on like a chicken wing. Anthony Simons goes down and makes two free throws. Now they're up three late. Max Struess actually bailed Miami out with like an impossible three in the left corner that I, I don't even know how he made. But then Dame just quickly pushed the ball up the floor and drove and kicked to Josh Hart in the corner, and he made the three at the buzzer to win. Kind of similar to what we were talking about with Boston and Memphis. For the most part down the stretch of the game, Portland got better shots. Because in that switching attack, they have more dribble creation, more guys that can put the ball on the floor and get to the basket and make plays. Miami really only has Jimmy Butler, and he wasn't willing to do it the first couple of minutes, and then he finally got aggressive, but it was too late. A little, little bit of a, 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 an issue starting to crop up in crunch time for the Miami Heat. They're, they've now played eight games that have registered as crunch time, meaning the score was within five, with, uh, five minutes left. And they're three and five in those games. And they can't score or get stops. And uh, on the Portland side of things, you know, I think I think it's time to 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 pay some respect to the rebuild here after they traded CJ, going after wings and surrounding Dame Willard and Anthony Simons with big athletic wings that can guard up and down positions and that can pass, dribble, and shoot. This is something I've been talking about forever. And it looks hilarious juxtaposed with the Lakers, who have been obsessed with going after little guards and giant centers that run slow down the floor, right? And you know, Rob Palinka once said in a press conference, like, "It's a guards' league," and I, you know, I, you know, it makes makes you, <laughs> if you're a Laker fan, you just want to freak out because it's like, it's like, no, it's not, it's not a guards' league, it's a wings' league. All the smart teams know that you need wings to win basketball games. And here we go, another team that's going all in on wings and immediately seeing results from it. First of all, it gives you a different look because now they can go small and switch everything instead of having to play Nurkic at the center and run drop coverage. You know, when you have that good aggregate size, like a huge strong wing in Justin Winslow, and then Jeremy Grant who's really tall and lanky, and then Josh Hart, who rebounds really well and plays bigger than he is – All of a sudden, the aggregate size and athleticism of that group is enough to hold its own defensively. Guys, Portland's a top 10 defense right now. They're at 10th in defensive rating. Wings are just so incredibly valuable to the dirty work of basketball. They can cover up and down a position, which gives you matchup flexibility. They can cover ground in transition and rotation. They're just big athletes so their strides are longer. So running up and down the floor in transition, they move faster than everybody. Oh, you've got to cover 15 feet in a quick rotation and contest a shooter. Like those guys are just better at that than a short like small athletically limited guard. And then another big part of it is the ability to shoot over the top. I told you guys that Jeremy Grant made two spot up threes late in the game off of uh, driving kicks. Neither of them were open. But when you're 6-8 and you have a high release point, like, you can knock those shots down even when you're not necessarily wide open. Whereas if you're Patrick Beverly, for instance, and you catch in on, the, on the wing, a good closeout from a good defensive player is going to take that shot away. Perimeter, perimeter size is, 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 is one of the most valuable things in the league right now. And all of the smart teams are going in that direction, and they are seeing wins follow as a result. And, you know, that is why I've been so critical of the Lakers upper management. That is why I've been critical of Genie Buss. It's because it's clear that the people that are making basketball decisions for that franchise are going in a different direction than all the smart teams in the league. And I don't think it's a coincidence that they're struggling as a result. Shout out to Portland. Really turned things around in pretty quick order. Dame Lillard looks every bit as good as he used to be. Anthony Simons looks like a great second option. And now they got a bunch of wings, and now they can defend. A really interesting team in this league. All right, quickly on the last two games. Nets-Maps. Um, another inspired defensive effort from the Nets without Kyrie. We talked a little bit about that uh, last night, so I won't get into it again. Little, A little bit of a late-game chess match here. Kevin Durant was guarding Luka and picking him up full court. The first kind of phase of that stretch... He was chasing Luca over the top of ball screens and applying back pressure. But as a result, one of two things was happening. Either the screen defender was helping corral Luca, and now there was a double, and Luca's making passes out of it to wide open shooters, or that screen defender's not helping, and Luca's getting downhill with KD trailing him. And since he's downhill, he's drawing help at the rim and kicking to shooters. And I, I've never really thought that was the right right way to attack Luca. Now, look, look Luca, I think, is the fourth best player in the world. I, I, I love the way that he plays the game. I don't think there's necessarily a proven method to stop him. However, if I was coaching, what I would do is I would switch and bait Luca into isos. Look, he's going to score on you sometimes. And he might take a small defender to the basket, make a layup, and tell you that you're too effing small, and then run down the floor. He might make a tough step-back three or a tough step-back jumper. He's going to beat you sometimes, even, on the scoreboard. But you at least... Tough shots for Luka, shooting over the top of the defense, are better than wide-open shots for good shooters. And then also, fatigue plays a role. If Luka has to continue to isolate and take those tough shots, then he might fatigue and start missing at some point. Well, right around, I think it was right around like two minutes left or so. KD they made the adjustment finally. And KD started picking up Luca full court. But when the screen came, he just would switch. And Luca started missing shots and turning the ball over. And that was a big part of how Brooklyn got back into the game at the end. And and KD actually had a chance to tie it at the end of the free throw line. He just, you know, left a free throw a little bit short and ended up rimming out uh, on the other end of the floor. But yeah, like during that initial stretch when Luca first, when Dallas first went on their run to, I think they ended up taking a ten point lead. During that stretch, they were KD was chasing Luca over the top, and he was just getting downhill and or drawing the double team and making passes to wide open shooters, and they were making them pay. On the other end of the floor, Dallas was making KD a passer too. You guys probably saw all the trash talk taking place between, I think it was Tony Roten and 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 Kevin Durant. Um, But I mean that's the reality of the the limitations of the Nets roster. They can afford to just openly double-team Kevin Durant anywhere on the floor because the team's not going to make them pay enough. And this has been a really inspired stretch of basketball from the Nets. Kevin Durant's been amazing. I talked about that last night, so I'm not going to get into it again. But the reality is is this roster has serious limitations. And even though this is more of a feel-good story than years past – I I still think that the best thing that could happen here is the Nets blowing things up. It's better for KD because he gets to go play meaningful basketball in his late 30s. And it's better for the team in the long run because they'll get assets and the capability of actually building a functional team. (laughs) Cavs-Clippers. This was a truly impressive loss for Cleveland. They were up 12 with four and a half minutes left. And during the final four and a half minutes of the game, Karis LaVert had two wide open left corner threes off of driving kicks. Kevin Love had a wide open kick out three that he missed. And both Darius Garland and Jared Allen missed really makeable layups at the rim. Darius Garland missed like a right-handed layup on the left side of the rim that he just shot a little long. And then uh, Jared Allen, I thought, had an opportunity to take a little hook shot. And instead he like palmed the basketball and tried to like throw it down into the rim and he missed it. Then on the other end of the floor, the Clippers were really opportunistic with their offense. Norman Powell made six straight free throws. He got fouled on a cut on a Marcus Morris post-up when his defender turned his head. He just cut backdoor, which was smart. He got fouled on a defensive rebound uh, by Karis LeVert, so just competing on the glass earned him two extra free throws. And then there was a play where he drove out of the left baseline, and Karis LeVert flopped to try to draw a charge, which flopping in late-game situations never a good idea. He ended up getting called for a block. So suddenly it was a six-point game because Norman Powell went to the line and made six straight free throws. Then Darius Garland threw a pick six to Terrence Mann for a dunk, although there was a weird sequence on the dunk where Terrence Mann like literally grabbed the net with his left hand and pulled himself up and then dunked it with his right hand. Cavs were pissed about that, but they didn't get the call. All of a sudden, it's a four-point game. Then Darius drives down again and turns it over to Reggie Jackson and then just immediately fouls Reggie Jackson in the backcourt. So two more free throws. So you, they literally gifted the Clippers 10 consecutive points through basically a pick six and and then four silly fouls. One of them, I suppose, was on a back cut, but the three of the fouls were silly. And then uh, on the last possession of the game, or uh, the last possession of the run, Jared Allen missed a layup at the rim, which we're going to come back to that play because I thought it was interesting. And then uh, uh, Norman Powell ran out and got a transition layup that tied the game uh, at, uh, uh, at 112. Then from there, Darius Garland missed a step back three. We're under a minute now. Darius Garland missed a step back three, and then uh, uh, Tyler drew up a really smart play, where they started Paul George on the right block and had him run off of a curl to get Isaac Okoro trailing him. And as a result, Paul George was able to get downhill. Isaac Okoro continued to track him and ride his hip, and uh, Paul George ended up elevating through contact and making a really nice layup um, to put them up 117-114, or 115-112. And then the Clippers played the foul contest and won. They ended up fouling Darius Garland. He ended up missing a free throw. Um, so obviously Paul, Paul George hit what essentially amounted to the game winner, but I thought the biggest play of that game uh, was probably Paul George contesting Jared Allen on the rim. So, remember, it was 112 to 110 after the Darius turnover against Reggie Jackson where he committed the foul. And uh Darius Garland drives to the basket, gets dribble penetration, gets downhill, and Paul George, who was guarding Jared Allen on this particular play, I think because of a switch, um, ends up corralling Darius under the basket. Darius throws a really nice hook pass that hits Jared Allen by himself, basically at the charge circle. And Paul George, tur- instead of just conceding the dunk, which if he concedes the dunk, no one even really says anything because he was wide open. And then you're down four with a minute left and the game's probably over. But instead, he turned and just jumped as high as he possibly could, knowing he might even get dunked on. But in the process... Jared Allen, instead of taking a short hook shot, ended up trying to kind of like finish downward at the basket after palming the basketball, and he missed a layup, which led to the transition opportunity where Norman Powell tied the game. So instead of conceding the layup and effectively the game, Paul George put his body on the line to make a defensive play, got a stop that led to a transition opportunity, and then he hit the game winner. So really stealing a, a victory from the jaws of defeat by Paul George. Um, Some bad luck from Cleveland there too. Like I said, they missed all of their good looks down that stretch. Also some bad process, some turnovers, a few bad offensive possessions, a few bad step back threes. Um, And then also really good execution from the Clippers competing on defense, like I said with Paul George earlier, and then getting easy points without having to score against Cleveland's half court defense by manufacturing points at the foul line and getting out in transition. Uh, A couple notes on the Clippers. Paul George, he had a weird start to the season. He was held to 16 points or fewer in four of his first five games. But in the last five games, he's averaging 31, 6, and 5 on 55% from the field and 45% from three. He's getting back downhill. He's up back up to uh, 3.2 restricted area makes per game on 84%. Remember, that's a huge indicator for Paul George. When he's like less than two restricted area makes per game, he's shooting too many jump shots. His game starts to fall apart. When he gets over three, that's when he's like superstar Paul George, three-level score. He's also shooting, in this five-game stretch, 47% on 11.4 pull-up jumpers per game. When you've got 6'8", Paul George, defending like an all-defense guy, three-level score, hitting 47% on 11-plus pull-up jumpers per game, that dude's a superstar. And when he's playing like that, it makes the Clippers a lot more interesting, especially if they can ever get Kawhi Leonard back, which is a whole other story. Clippers themselves, 4-1 and in their last five. John Wall himself is also up to four restricted area makes per game in this five-game stretch. That's, again, that's the key. They got to get dribble penetration. We talked a lot about that during our most disappointing teams. The offense is a little better. They're 22nd during the span, which is better than them being at the bottom of the league like they had been. Uh, But they still have a long way to go to get to where they need to be offensively. Uh, But they're trending in the right direction, and they're winning, which is all that matters when you're trying to float in the standings when a star is out. All right, that is all I have for today, guys. As always, I sincerely appreciate your support. Tomorrow night we're covering Knicks Nets after the open uh, the, the early slate live on AMP that'll be right around eight uh, right around 7:30 uh, PST and then um, Lakers Clippers in the evening we'll be breaking that game down live on YouTube right after the final buzzer as always I sincerely appreciate you guys and I will see you tomorrow. instead of the other way around. Approval isn't guaranteed, and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details.
1: Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's Pee Wee Championship game. A trophy bigger than your 5-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary.